0: This episode of On the Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by
1: hearing and doing the words of Jesus. It is called the most famous sermon in history, and for good reason. In today's program, we're going to see that as we learn the Sermon on the Mount, we can be salt and light to the world. Our series is entitled The Kingly Messiah, Understanding the Gospel of Matthew, Part 1. A verse by verse audio commentary part of the larger understanding the Bible series. And here we have the Sermon on the Mount continued. Matthew chapter five verses thirteen to twenty. And it begins with ye are the salt of the earth, and if that salt have lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. But to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but put it on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. This is a very simple but lofty precept, that when you follow Jesus Christ, the light of the world, You will never be in darkness. When you follow Jesus Christ, you will have and be the salt of the earth. Even with so much talk about hypertension and sodium and the evils of salt, it is to be noted that Jesus himself said that salt is good. Well, if Jesus says salt is good, then it's good. Now, of course, salt in his day wasn't refined and bleached and it iodinized and all that. But the fact is, he says salt is good. Obviously, you don't need a lot to get the benefits. But what you do have, you put to good use. Jesus is talking about us being salt and light to the world. I liken the salt and light to what is called biblical integrity. You see, biblical integrity is similar to normal workaday earthly integrity. And what is integrity? Well, see, Integrity comes from a mathematical term called integer. Integer means whole numbers like 1, 3, 47, 295. Even zero is an integer. But things like fractions or mixed numbers like one and a half or two and three quarters, those are not integers. They are not whole. They're not complete. Integrity means you're whole, you're complete. In the dictionary, it says that integrity means to be sincere, honest, and morally upright. And let's face it, you don't actually have to be a Christian to be sincere, honest, and morally upright. There are non-Christians that have those qualities. They may not be a lot, but they do exist. And unfortunately, there are people that claim to be Christian that lack in one or more of these qualities. And that's really not a good thing. However, when it comes to biblical integrity, the definition goes much further. Biblical integrity is exactly what we read here in Matthew chapter 5, 13 and 14. Salt of the earth and light of the world. That's the goal we should have. To be as light and salt to our generation and our world. And only the full-on follower of Jesus, can make that claim. People like the disciples who were sitting there in the front row, listening to Jesus, already having made the decision that they were going to follow him to the full, they qualified for these lofty descriptions. Salt of the earth, light of the world. When you can live that way, let me tell you some benefits. The integrity of the upright, will guide them. The perverseness of transgressors will destroy them. That's Proverbs 11, verse 3. Integrity will establish you. Integrity can promote you. Now, of course, you can get in trouble for having integrity. Just ask Joseph. Because of his integrity to live a morally upright life, he would not agree to go to bed with Potiphar's wife. Talk about ancient sexual harassment. And in this case, it was a woman (laughs) harassing a man. It can happen in antiquity as well as now. He wouldn't accede to her demands, so he fled from her. He suffered the consequences, but he was still promoted in the end. Integrity will make sure you are respected and that you are trusted. Joseph was both respected and trusted. And so in this particular portion, we're going to learn about salt and light, the candle, glorifying our Father in heaven. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Nothing shall pass away that has to do with God's word, size is due to conformity, and a higher righteousness. All right, let's read the entire portion of Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and our lesson is called Salt and Light, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out, and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. The same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Our reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, and our lesson is called Sermon on the Mount, Salt and Light. The Background Jesus' ministry became wildly popular. And people gathered around to hear his words from all over the place. From Galilee, Judea, Decapolis, beyond the Jordan. His fame spread throughout all Syria. They came to hear his words. They came to see or receive a miracle by his hand. Now on top of the mount that is tradition known as Mount of Beatitudes, he begins the Sermon on the Mount starting with the Beatitudes. But here he continues beyond the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, verse 13, he talks about we are the salt of the earth. Salt has several important purposes. It seasons food, and it prevents or delays decay and corruption. In Mark chapter 9, verse 50, and Luke fourteen thirty four, Jesus says that salt is good. But there is a warning. If the salt has lost its savor, meaning it's lost its saltiness or it's been wet and now it's no longer useful, what do you do with such salt? Well, the answer is nothing. The salt that has lost its savor is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trodden under the foot of men. That's a sober warning. So keep your saltiness, friends. Keep your integrity intact. Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. And he speaks that to his followers. Now, how can they be the light of the world? Well, it's because that Jesus is the light of the world, according to John 8, verse 12. So whoever follows him will reflect his light. Think of it like the sun and the moon. The sun, of course, is the source of power. It's the source of light. The moon has no power and it has no light. Yet we see it shining in the sky. Especially big full moons are attractive. Where does it get the light? Well, apparently it reflects the light of the sun. And the same with us. Jesus is like the sun, except he's the S-O-N, and we are like the moon. He's the greater light that rules the day, and we're the lesser light that rules the night. Also, there is a city called Sathed or Safat. It existed in biblical times, and it's a modern city as well. From the Mount of Transfiguration, you can actually see the city of Safed or Safat, on the hills of Upper Galilee. And you can even see it at night, because of its high up position. That's how we should be as well. We don't have a light, and then hide it. We have a light, and we get to a high place. It says in Isaiah 60, Verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. Then it goes on to talk about the candle, or Jesus himself speaking of the candle in Matthew 5, verse 15. Continue on with this light metaphor. Jesus says no candle is lit, and then has its light hidden under a bushel. That would be a misuse. It would be a waste. On the contrary. Once a candle is lit, it's put on a candle stand so that everyone can see and enjoy its light. In addition, that light curses any darkness. When that candle is lit, the whole house will be lit or full of light. And again, that's how we should live as well. Even when we don't say anything verbally about our testimony, the light of Jesus in us is going to shine brightly. That's why some people who are not with the Lord and are resistant to the things of the gospel will be uncomfortable by your presence even if you don't say a word. It's the light on your life. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's the testimony you have. It's, it's the presence of God that will make them uncomfortable. Don't chafe. Don't be nervous about it. It's part of the territory. Then in Matthew 5 and verse 16, Jesus exhorts the people to get their candlestick, put it in a high place, and let their light shine. They need to be, in other words, public and not hidden. They're not boasting, they're just letting their light shine. They didn't create the light, they're just reflecting the light. And the purpose of letting the light shine publicly and not in a hidden manner is so that people will see their good works and glorify the Father in heaven. But remember, the reverse is also true. Living a double life in the dark brings reproach to God and his kingdom. That's how you can bring scandal. Just live a double life. Sometimes you're doing the right thing. Sometimes you're doing the wrong thing. When you do the right thing, you do it in public. When you do the wrong thing, you do it in darkness. And please remember, friends, repent before it's too late. Repent before your cover is blown. We're seeing a whole lot of people... Embroiled in scandal, be it in Hollywood, be it in business, being in the political arena, and yes, it can happen, unfortunately, even in the church scene. Stop before it's too late. If you don't know how to stop and you know you're living a double life and you're heading for a crash, if you cannot stop, then find someone to help you stop. Find a trusted pastor, friend, counsel, and at the same time, prayer and fasting and embracing the cross of Jesus. And putting the Word of God in your heart and meditating on it and praying in the Holy Spirit does wonders for breaking the grip of life-controlling sins. You don't want to be a disaster waiting to happen. Get rid of the stench of scandal and embrace the light of the world. So, we want to reflect God's kingdom and bring glory to our Father in heaven. In Matthew five seventeen. What was Jesus' attitude towards the Law of Moses and the Prophets? He actually takes a high view of both. His purpose was not to destroy these things, but to fulfill them. His personhood, work, and words are a fulfillment of the righteous, spiritual purposes of the Law and of the Prophets. And then in Matthew 5.18, he has a very, very high view of Scripture. One we would do well to emulate. He says this about the the divine inspiration of Scripture. He believes, this is Jesus, that the Scripture is God's eternal, life-giving Word. He tells people truly that until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle of the law will pass until all be fulfilled. A jot is also the Hebrew letter yod, which is the smallest in the Hebrew alphabet. A yod, Y-O-D, is no bigger than an apostrophe, and it will not pass away, despite its small size. What is a tittle? It's a curse of flourish at the beginning or end of a letter. You see, Jesus says not even the jot or the tittle will pass away. In other words, Jesus believes that every part of every letter, of every word, of every verse, of every chapter, of every book of the Bible is inspired, life-giving, and eternal. Well, if it's good enough for him, it should be good enough for us. Matthew five nineteen size due to conformity. What do we have? A solemn warning is given here. If you break the least of the commandments and teach people to do likewise, you will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. We should be affirming what God teaches, not trying to undermine it, spiritualize it, or explain it away. If you do and teach the commandments... You will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, does the phrase least in the kingdom of heaven mean that you will be in the kingdom but merely last? Or is it an idiom of exclusion from the kingdom altogether? Are the commandments in this verse referring to the Mosaic law with 613 commands? Or do they refer to Christ and his commands since he is a fulfillment of the law, the prophets, and more? It seems that the latter is the most likely interpretation. But here's something else to ponder. A higher righteousness. Matthew 5, verse 20. This is our last verse for the lesson. A higher righteousness. Now, this statement should be shocking if you know anything about the Jewish life of the time of Jesus. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees as though it looked good in public. Because remember, outwardly, they scrubbed up really well. But their righteousness was insufficient for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. This last verse, let me read it to you again. It says in Matthew 5.20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's a shocker because the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, well, in public and to the average person, it looked utterly sufficient. They scrubbed up well. They were, you know, white and cleansed, but they couldn't enter the kingdom of heaven. Because these groups, although they were the most righteous of the Jewish community, at least on the outward, but you see, you need a higher righteousness. A righteousness that comes from God. Because there's not enough to do the motions and look good in public. That's why Jesus called them hypocrites. Because they look good outwardly, but inwardly, they had hatred, they had greed, they had lust, Some of them were probably even having secret sin. That's why their righteousness was not enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. You need a higher righteousness than these if you want to be with God forever. So it's not just doing the law of Moses. You have to repent, believe, and receive the gospel to have the higher righteousness that does enter into God's kingdom forever. Because remember, law-keeping doesn't actually atone for your sins. Law-keeping doesn't deliver you from a sin-dominated self-life. Only the gospel with the cross, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the word in your heart, and baptism in the Spirit, and praying in the Spirit. These things will deliver you from a sinful life. Now, our lesson is called Salt and Light, Sermon on the Mount. And our lesson for life is outward, worldly, religious righteousness is not good enough to enter God's kingdom. You have to repent, believe, and receive the gospel of Christ in order to enter. Friends, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, for your righteousness that comes by faith, that's downloaded into our penitent hearts and believing hearts. Thank you that we are salt and light, and God, help us to walk the way of faith and grace in you.